0: I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic.
1: Oh, man. I love this song. It's a new one for me. Oh, you're gonna love this band. If you have not heard of them, you are gonna love this band. But I'm not gonna be a spoiler. I'm gonna let you introduce it. Here okay. In just a okay. Second. So before I, we I,
0: I see what the uh, what the name of the band is, and it's uh, you know it's close to my heart for other reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it? Well, you're gonna have to expand on that. So here we are, episode 176. 176. 176. Oh man, we are gonna have so much fun tonight. We've got a great another great guest. Oh yeah. We are on a roll here. Man, oh man, we are putting out so much content right now. It's ridiculous.
0: Yes, and it's going to be Fast and Furious this summer.
1: You know, I I agree. We've got a Tremendous lineup of guests throughout the rest of the summer. Mm-hmm. Trying to fit some more in. But it is very interesting to me, though. In the summertime, the number of downloads go down a little bit because people are on vacation and they're just, you know, they're they're doing other things and listening to podcasts. But um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's I, historically kind of been the trend, but we'll yeah, see if we've that happens. have been holding
0: strong so far, so Absolutely. far this year.
1: So. so let's do a couple um, co-host intros here. We have sure. a special co-host guest with us this evening. Yes, we do. We have Rob Moores. Is it Moore's or is it Moore's? Definitely the former, not the Moore's Is it Rob Moops or is it Moore's? Or is it Rob
0: Moops? Moops, okay, (laughs) got it.
1: (laughs) So Rob, um, interestingly enough, he works for our good friend Trent Keenan at Diamondback Land Survey. Absolutely. Um, Our our number
0: one friend of the program.
1: Absolutely. Rob has been a uh, supporter of the show as well for pretty much since we've been in existence. Um, Really, really uh, generous uh, on social media. Has a great presence there as well. So Rob, welcome! Thanks Thank for hanging out with us. I he happens to be happens to be working in Arizona this week. So we're yeah. like, hey, come on by the studio, hang out, drink some free beer. And he's like,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. He had me. At, he had me a beer. <laughs> Count me in. Twist my arm.
1: <laughs> but we did tell him that as a guest co-host, there are responsibilities, especially when you're in studio.
0: Oh yes, absolutely.
1: One of those is making sure that the host and co-host, permanent host and co-host, beers are full. Yes. Did you call me. You're the guest co-host. What did you call me earlier? Uh, mopes. No.
2: The beer, the beer job. What am I? Oh, Oh, the geo,
0: the geo beer bitch. Geo bitch.
1: (laughs) 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 Just clarifying. We are going to, I think we should trademark that. Make some stickers. Geo bitch. Geo Geo bitch. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yep. So anyways, how are you, Sean? Uh, I
0: am doing outstanding. Awesome. I know. I'm sure, you know, in the uh, saga of the, the Faber estate remodel. Uh, that's moving quite quite well, actually. Um, got some new flooring going in. Looks nice. phenomenal. Nice. I don't know how, but my wife and what she can see in her head and how she puts all these things, like, you know, mm-hmm. there's just all these tiles and all this stuff. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And the whole time I'm like, I, sure, it looks great. I don't know how it's all going to fit Typical together. Typical guy. And then yep. the, all the guys get done, and I look at it, and I'm like, this looks amazing. Like how do you see mm. what that's supposed to look like when you're in a tile store and there's yeah. every possible variety of tile. So interesting. Maybe interesting. she
1: should like uh, do more of an interior design type thing. Yeah. I think she she's a nat- got a, nut-
0: yeah, she's starting yeah. to find, find her, find her niche here. I Very mean, nut- you know, her, hmm. she goes in and out of a lot of nice houses. So she gets a lot of inspiration, but there go. there's just some people that nice. can creatively see design and Absolutely. see these things. And there's no people question. like probably most of us and most of our audience that yeah. just don't, Yep. They're more analytical, so it's just amazing when you mm-hmm. see something like that come. To or come if you're to somebody fishing. like
1: myself that is colorblind, probably not a good interior designer.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's probably not going to work out. Even yeah. though we did a lot of black and white and a lot of patterns, so it's probably right up your black alley. Black and
1: white is perfect. <laughs> me, <yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> I live my life in black and white. It's right. fantastic. Uh, what about you, Kent? What's new in your world? Um, I got to mention something. I have been, I've failed the last couple of weeks to mention something. Okay. Uh, a good friend of ours, Kyle Schultz, might be Schultz-y. I'm not sure, but let's- Let's go with Schultz. <laughs> that's how good a friend he is. Um, he is he, he is managing, um, coordinating the 2023 National Boy Scout Jamboree, Ooh, which okay. is coming up July 17th through the 29th in West Virginia. This is a place where scouts from across the country get together in the spirit of scouting, yes, of course, right? Of course. So Kyle is the booth coordinator for the Serving Merit Badge. Very cool. Who knew? Who yeah. knew? Surveying merit badge, right? There is a surveying merit badge. It's been around since... I think it was one of the original surveying merit badges, actually. And when I was president of the uh, United Surveyors of Arizona, I approached the local Boy Scout troop. I was like, hey, is... I know there's a serving merit badge. Is anybody offering it? And they're like, no, nobody's offered it in like 20 years, whatever. So we offered it, and immediately it was like a waiting list every time we did it. So the serving merit badge is a thing. It's super freaking cool. And he, Kyle, is looking for volunteers and donations to help support the booth. So if you're interested in volunteering or donating to support the serving booth at this year's National Scout Jamboree, please email Kyle at kyle dot schultz s-c-h-u-l-t-z-e at gmail.com there's a great cause and i'm sure he could use any support we could possibly give him
0: oh that's a great cause two things one i'm mm-hmm. certain it's not schultzy now that you spelled his name <laughs> and two it sounds like something the geoholics are, are absolutely going to support
1: 100 percent, 100 other than that uh i got a new hoopty yeah. I, I wanted to be cool like sean
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I... Uh, I saw I, it in the parking lot, man. I it looks cool. Jumped in 100%.
0: New uh, 4Runner. Yeah. Got the cool... What? The, what is it? The 40th anniversary yes. color thing. Yeah.
2: yeah the the yeah, red orange yellow. Yes. yes. Yeah, it looks that's cool. cool. Yes. I was wondering. I so said it's got to be one of theirs.
1: It's yeah. really, yeah, really cool. Sick. It's yeah. awesome. First car... New car I bought in quite some time. I'm the worst car purchaser in the world just because I keep them for like two years and I trade them in and get something else. You know, it's like I... I could be so much further along in my life financially if <laughs> I was... Not such a shitty car buyer. I can
0: tell you that the one I'm going to keep the longest is going to be my Forerunner. I so. think
1: this might be the last. Yeah. Well, hold on.
0: No, not the last. Not the last.
1: I'm going to back <laughs> up right now. But yes, I'm super excited. And I think cool. I'm going to have it for a very long time. I'm excited for you. All right, let's get on with this. Tiles so uh, about that opening number. There, so Sean. that up-
0: opening number <laughs> is a band called Bad Sons. Close to my heart because the Suns had a crappy run in the playoffs this year. Oh, so I see where you bad, went with that. Bad Suns, now. you know, nice. Bad Suns. You can get that. Absolutely. Uh, that was a that was a song called "Cardiac Arrest." Uh, the not not well known band, as far as I can tell, but the Bad Suns are an American indie rock band formed in 2012 in Woodland Hills, California. Hmm. The band consists of members Christo Bowman, Gavin Bennett, Miles Morris, and Ray Libby. They gained popularity with their energetic and catchy brand of alternative rock drawing influences from various genres such as new wave, post-punk, and pop rock.
1: And I like them. I like them. Very catchy. That alone is is, is everything you should need. Check this out. Speaking of cardiac arrest, um, I heard that Damar Hamlin is back at Bill's camp this year.
0: Hmm. Yes. You don't say.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So... That's pretty exciting. Uh, Do you think he's going to play this year? Yeah, I think he's playing. Yeah, he's been clear. That cleared. is amazing. He's been clear. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So um, cheers to uh, Damar Hamilton. Cheers to Damar. Yeah. Thank you. All right. We are, of course, in the Diamondback Land Surveying Studio this evening. Um or is in- this the Wisdom Wednesday Studio? No, it's Diamondback Land Surveying. Okay. I think I skipped one. Okay, got it. But since Rob was here, oh, yeah, I it's want debil- to make sure that we called uh, it the Diamondback Lancer Surveying studio that's true. tonight. So do you got the full effect, you know, the full experience? So, uh, of course, as usual, thank you to Trent Keenan and Diamondback Land Surveying for their support of the show. And uh, what are we up to next? Oh, Airworks. We have to shout out to our buddies at Airworks. Yes. Airworks, somewhat random trivia. Are you prepared?
0: I am. What do you got?
1: Uh... I was thinking about this last
0: week, but I'm going to do it this week. It's I'm sure with the with our audience, it's near and dear to everyone's heart. I'm not going to say a whole bunch of stuff that's surprising, but uh, we are in the middle of June, and in June is the the day of that occurs in late June that is known as the summer solstice. Mm. Everyone is. I mean, I'm sure up. all these geospatial nerds out here are coming up. well aware, but maybe I can uh, have some some little nuggets that uh, you guys haven't uh, heard before. Uh, the term solstice comes from the Latin word sol and sister, which is to stand still. Uh, the solstice is the angle between the sun's rays and the plane of the Earth's equi- equator, known as declination, where it appears to stand still. It the most notable is in the Arctic Circle, where the sun hugs the horizon for a continuous 24 hours. Hmm. Um, and across the world, this has always been a, a thing at the summer solstice, which is not always the same day, but it's the longest day of the year. Uh, in ancient Egypt, the summer solstice co- coincided with the rising of the Nile River, which is very important to them at the time. Also, uh, back in the day, the Irish would cut hazel branches on solstice eve to be used in search of gold, water, and precious jewels. Um, some other people confuse the solstice with the equinox, but the equinox occurs when the day of and night are of equal length, hmm. and the sun is directly above the equator, which is twice the year. That's opposite of mm-hmm. opposite calendar of the summer solstice. Yep. In Christianity, the summer solstice marked the festival of Saint John the Baptist. Also, I didn't know this one. The northern hemisphere receives approximately 7% less sunlight during its summer than the southern hemisphere receives during its summer.
1: That's probably a good thing.
0: I'm guessing. Living in Arizona. Yeah.
1: Here, yeah. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs)
0: And uh, and the Earth is not the only planet to have a summer solstice. Mars' solstice occurs a few days after Earth's June solstice.
1: Really? Yeah. That is very so. When is the longest day of the year as far as daylight? It's summer solstice, the summer solstice. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's always either
0: June somewhere between June twentieth and twenty second is usually when it happens. Okay. What I always do every year is uh, the the closest weekend, closest Saturday usually to the summer solstice. I, solstice. I start as early as I can and I play as many golf holes. Do you really? Through that day, yeah. My record is fifty eight holes.
1: So just another day for you not to go to work. Well, I do it on a Saturday, <laughs>
0: Oh, but here in Phoenix in June, sometimes it can be outrageously hot, so playing 54 holes when it's above 110 mm. is uh, is quite a feat, and uh, gotcha. I, uh, hopefully it'll be a little cooler this year, but we'll see see how many, and as I get older, it gets harder and harder to, to pull that off. Typically, That's I get miserable. in about
1: gotcha. somewhere gotcha. about
0: the third round, I start falling over.
1: You know what I forgot to mention earlier? I, I watched one of my favorite movies of all time. Weekend uh, at Bernie's? Weekend. No, uh, Anchorman. <laughs> oh, yes. Anchorman. And you and I are kind of like the Ron Burgundy and Champ Kind of <laughs> geospatial podcasts. And tonight we've got our own Brick Tamler. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's so easy for me to get off track. It is. It All is. Right. Let's let's pull it back together. Let's pay. Let's pay one more bill. What do you say? Sure. All right. Next up, we got the Advanced Geodetic Surveys Weekly Words of Wisdom. Um, I had you in mind this week, Sean. With oh, this, uh, I'm with sure. This, this is going to be good. Okay. Here we go. Failure is central to engineering. Mm. Every single calculation that an engineer makes is a failure calculation. It is. Successful engineering is all about understanding how things break or fail.
0: That is correct.
1: Good stuff, right? Yeah. Henry Petrosky, American engineer specializing in failure analysis and professor of civil engineering at Duke University. Didn't know they had a good civil
0: engineering department, but sure everyone, at Duke's pretty smart. Uh, I, I like that a lot.
1: I heard you're a big Duke fan. Oh my god. Is that true?
0: No. Whatever the opposite of that is.
1: Why would my wife be calling me in the middle of a podcast? That's not good. All right. The red button. (laughs) The hang-up button. (laughs) Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute.
3: Hello, geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. I can't remember the last time in my professional life where I didn't have some task or conversation related to the datums WGS-84 and or NAD-83. If you're like me, I bet you haven't either. Thus, let's take a minute and dive into the two systems, that way we can all be a bit more intelligent on the topic, as they say a rising tide lifts all ships. WGS 84 or the World Geodetic System of 1984 and NAD 83 the North American Datum of 1983 are both Reference systems used to establish a consistent and accurate framework for measuring and representing locations on the Earth's surface While they serve similar purposes. There are some key differences between them. Let's review global versus regional access WGS-84 is a global reference system developed by the U.S. Department of Defense to provide a world geodetic reference frame. It is commonly used in GPS systems and satellite imagery. On the other hand, NAT-83 is primarily used for geospatial applications within North America, including the United States, Canada, and Mexico. There is also differences in the datum shifts. WGS-84 and NAT-83 are based on different datums. WGS-84 is based primarily on the Earth's center of mass, an ECEF, while NAT83 is based on a geocentric datum that accounts for the North American tectonic plate motion. This difference results in a shift between the coordinates obtained using the two systems known as the datum shift. Let's talk accuracy. In terms of accuracy, both systems have undergone updates and improvements over time. WGS84 is periodically refined to align with the latest measurements from satellite positioning systems such as GPS. NAT83 also undergoes adjustments to account for changes in those tectonic plates we mentioned. Therefore, it's challenging to determine which is more accurate. It's probably a better bet to decide on using one or the other depending on where you are and what you're trying to do. When choosing WGS84 and NAT83, let's consider these following things. What's your scope? If the project is primarily focused on local and regional analysis within North America, NAT83 would be more suitable choice due to the alignment of the area or geography. WGS84, on the other hand, is generally preferred for global applications such as GPS and other global datasets. What's the compatibility of the data? It is also essential to ensure data consistency and compatibility within a project. If existing data or reference systems are based on NAD83, it is more convenient to continue using NAD83 to maintain consistency. Similarly, if the data are uh, in an international collaboration or with global datasets, involved WGS 84 might be more appropriate. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper my friends.
1: All right. All right. Let's get our guest in here. Uh, Tonight's guest, of course, is sponsored by XYHT Magazine. And if you have not signed up for your free subscription to XYHT Magazine, you're absolutely missing out. Our guest this evening is Aaron Goldstein. And uh, a little bit about Aaron before we loop him in here. He's born in a small town in southwestern Missouri called Anderson, Missouri. Have not heard of that one. He attended University of Kansas. Go.
0: Jayhawks. Jay, Jay Hawks
1: or he received rock, rock. a BS rock, rock. in geology. He also later took GIS work at North Carolina State University. pack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Here we go. <laughs> yeah, go pack. Go pack. Oh, what is go this? Pack. This is this is the
0: the wolf. See the wolf. See? This is the this is the ears and this, this is, is the nose. the
1: chicken dance. This is the chicken dance. Yeah, well. Whatever. You're just
0: ashamed cuz you actually found another person that went to your went your college. It's
1: I knew I didn't want to mention it because I knew you were going to be so distracted from here (laughs) on out. His hobbies include outdoor activities such as running, hiking, rock climbing, et cetera. Also enjoys taking photos, typically of architecture, city skylines, and landscapes. That's nice. Very nice. His job currently is the regional department manager for UES's Virtual Design Consulting better known as VDC. His passion is he's incredibly passionate about solving real-world problems that affect not only contractors, but the health and safeties of those around him. Oh, my goodness. He seems like such a nice guy. He's Let's get him in. Nice. <laughs> Aaron, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No question. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight.
0: Well, now that I know he, he's you, a he's a Wolfpacker, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to automatically be a better show.
1: This is Uh, gross. Of course he is. But just don't be doing doing this shit all night, though. Don't be doing that. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. It's so weird.
0: (laughs) You just wish you had something cool like that. Was Aaron doing it,
1: too? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were both doing it. Oh, no. Yeah, Yeah. it was the weirdest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Man, oh, man. All right, so let's get on with the uh, Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. I kind of, I tried to, like, come up with this one, like, around the earth or whatever. But So what is more likely to be true? Is it more likely to be true that we landed on the moon in 1969, oh, geez. or, what? or the Earth is flat? <laughs> what kind of what kind of question is this? Which one's <laughs> which one's more likely to be true?
0: I wait. Uh, uh,
2: uh, <laughs> the way he's asking it, it's hurting my brain. It
4: really is. Really is. I uh, can go. Uh, go, 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 Aaron. Go please, Aaron. Go ahead. Aaron. Uh, so my brother, he's an astrophysicist at uh, the USA uh, USRA, which is the United Space uh, Research Association. Um, and so obviously we all know the answer. The Earth is definitely not flat and we definitely landed on the moon. That's for sure.
0: Mm. Oh, <laughs> but I think what he's asking is which one is more likely, likely to, to be true. true. Yes, I think that, uh, well... I'm not, I, I, I take a pass. This is <laughs> I blew his mind. Ridiculous. <laughs> it hurt his brain.
1: What about you, Rob? You got anything to uh, follow up with on that one?
2: I think you're insane for asking it.
1: Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's a whole other episode. I, I think
0: what you're getting at is that it is easier for us to prove that the earth is not flat versus to prove that we actually landed on the moon. I'm with
1: you. yeah. I like it's that insane. answer. That's a great answer. There has to yes. be a
0: ranking, and that's the ranking, even though it's a stupid question.
1: And I agree with your response. <laughs> <laughs> it is somewhat easier. It is somewhat easier to prove. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. All right, let's get to know Aaron here a little bit. Growing up in rural Missouri, Tornado Alley, um, my goodness! Did anything in your childhood have a direct effect on your career path?
4: Yeah, it's uh, great that you asked that. Um, you know, in Missouri, it's kind of what we call layer cake geology, so it's just you know horizontal rocks on top of horizontal rocks. So that really didn't play any part in uh, you know actually wanting to become a geologist or geophysicist. Actually, what what really led to it is um, when I was uh, very young, we my family took a, a vacation trip to uh, the great great uh, Washington DC and we visited the, the Smithsonian uh, Natural History Museum. And I just remember walking through there and seeing all the gemstones, all the rocks, uh, all the diamonds and everything and just being so uh, just incredibly interested in that. And uh, afterwards, I, I still have a pocketbook <laughs> of uh, all these uh, gemstones and minerals that my my father had bought f- uh, for me when I was just like maybe 10, 10 years old. And so that really kind of, I guess, led to me going down this path.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. I remember getting those books. I'm almost positive. I know the books you're talking about where you open them up and there's like all these little nuggets of whatever in there and kind of name underneath it. It's pretty cool. Fool's gold. Oh, Fool's yeah, gold. Yeah. Right, like
4: right. it had like little samples A little of everything or like, something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah, exactly. And the little shiny ones, you're like, this one's got to be worth some money. <laughs> They're so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Anything shiny has got to be worth yeah, money. It's like my six-year-old. Like,
0: oh, look at that gem on, in the, on the ground. I have to pick that up. I, I, it's uh, funny because I saw this, I don't know, it was a meme or something, but it's like you know you're an adult with a kid when you just somehow have rocks in your house. Oh, yeah. Like you would never yeah. have rocks in your house unless yeah. you have a small child, and yeah. then all of a sudden they're just everywhere.
1: But some of those rocks have uh, um, a lot of meaning.
2: You're not allowed to get rid of them. Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah, I'm sure. It's yeah, you're like, yeah. you're like,
1: this is the rock I got at Disneyland. This is the rock I got when dad uh, stopped on the side of the road to take a shit. <laughs> 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 not dad but <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Father, right. over here. Oh, uh, Aaron,
4: where, where are you uh, located now? Or where do you call home? Yeah, I uh, live out here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: Good stuff. There's good people out there in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's all I know.
4: Yeah. Believe
1: it or not, we're actually decent people out here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Sean's like Southern accent
0: yeah. takes up a little oh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm telling you, it, it's like a switch. It just kind of pops out. Yeah. A couple of bourbons and talking to somebody from North Carolina, it starts to
4: get thick.
1: Mm. My goodness. So Aaron, you've worked on some really cool projects. What are a couple, maybe one or two or one in particular that sticks out in your mind?
4: Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think the one that sticks out to me is um, I worked on a huge project out in the Bahamas uh, right around uh, the kind of the high point of the uh, pandemic. Uh, back in 2020, we uh, had been enlisted to go out to the Bahamas and, and uh, locate uh, basically a whole entire tank farm's worth of underground infrastructure. Uh, and so we ended up having to you know, fly out to the Bahamas. It was Grand Bahama Island at, uh, at the time. Um, the year prior, it actually, the island had actually gotten hit by a category five hurricane. I think wow. it was like hurricane Dorian, if I remember correctly. And, uh, so we were out there for like six or seven weeks on this Island. Um, they're just, you know, the, the crazy part out there is because they're on an Island, they hadn't really rebuilt a lot of things. So, the whole entire infrastructure was pretty devastated out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, they had to ship all of their heavy equipment, all that stuff on barges from the U S uh, mainly from Miami and Fort Lauderdale, uh, down across, across the uh, ocean, uh, to the Island. And so we're out there, uh, just for, I think it was like six or seven weeks. And right around when we're about to wrap up work, like a week right before a category one hurricane came through and, uh, so, we couldn't get off the island because of uh, uh, pandemic restrictions. Uh, they had shut down all the islands, no, no inter island travel, no tr- uh, travel in and out of the country, uh, except for just, you know, meant like re- regular supplies like food and, and water. Um, so, we're kind of just sitting there. You know, I could see from our area BnB we're like a quarter of a mile from the coastline. Here comes this category one hurricane, and, you know, just hoping. Hoping we're all good. Uh, we ended up uh, being all right, obviously, because I'm here right now, uh, and uh, we finished up work and everything. And we had to take a private, private uh, island hopper just to get us off and uh, over into these back to the states. But yeah, that was definitely like mm. the biggest, the biggest one that stuck out for me.
0: And you almost got stuck on a on a tropical island. Sounds terrible. Yeah, Crazy.
1: that's horrible. What's so? I, my question is, what's with you and like catastrophic weather events? You know, whether it's tornadoes yeah, know, they just or hurricanes. Me I mean, jeez.
4: Um, yeah, they just follow me everywhere I go. I mean, I see that I was in uh, the uh, back in 2010. There was this F5 tornado in Joplin, Missouri. Mm-hmm. You, you might have heard of it, I, I know it made headlines. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was. I was there in Joplin when that happened. Wow. I just luckily was on the other side of the city. Oh uh, gosh. But you know, never yeah. invite this guy to Phoenix.
2: No, don't come to hey.
4: Phoenix. Sorry. <laughs> don't don't want. worry. I'll bring the the dust devils with me.
1: And the uh, haboobs. Bring them <laughs> the ha-boob <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I I did feel to mention that you are a professional geologist. Yeah. So that's I, right. I feel to mention that and. Talk about life at uh, UES. What's what's a typical day look like for you? What do you love about working for this company?
4: Yeah, you know uh, the great thing about UES and and UES is um, expanded in terms of uh, it's what what its actual company name is. It's Universal Engineering Sciences, uh, but we've condensed that down just to UES. Um, you know, it, it's great work environment. I mean, the the thing that that I like the most about about the company is just how um, how much teamwork is really involved. It, it just feels like it's a huge one huge family. You know, we have offices all across the country, um, and you know, I I interface with individuals that are out in L.A. and and Irvine area all the time. Uh, you know, just like yesterday. Um, as well as you know, interfacing with people, you know, just, just sitting on my team as well. And so, typically, you know, we're, what what the average day looks like is, you know, I'm giving presentations, you know, at least five or six times a week. Um, but we're also out in the field collecting data and uh, translating that data into models that that uh, contractors and designers can use uh, to to make sure they're they're you know doing their due diligence. Um, so you know, there's a lot that goes involved, uh, goes on, and is involved in that process.
0: Uh, talk a little bit more specifically on what are you collecting? Like, what's the you know, you, you, what did you mention? Your title was again the yeah. Uh, uh, F- fancy, f- fancy, <laughs> virtual, virtual underground data collector infrastructure guy.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: so go so, into uh, a little like, what, how do you, how do you, you know, what's a typical good. project? What do you, you know, how do you figure out what's going on down there and what's a deliverable look like?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So one of the main things that we focus on is uh, geophysics, right? And uh, geophysics really is just applied uh, physics to the ground. So uh, most often what what our clients are finding most beneficial is looking for uh, things like uh, uh, buried utilities, uh, buried underground storage tanks, uh, maybe even buried debris across their site. And so what we do is we deploy all these non-destructive sensors essentially. So you're probably familiar with one, Um, everybody knows of it, ground penetrating radar uh, or GPR. Um, so s- similar systems just like that. And we're detecting all of these different things going on below the ground. And essentially what, what we attempt to do is model this in both, uh, both a T- 2D and 3D uh, um, deliverable so that a client can work with this information. So you could figure, you know, if a civil engineer needs to figure out where their underground utilities are out on their site, it's much more desirable to have that in a, a 3D environment where they can, uh, you know, decide, hey, you know, at this step, this utility is in conflict with our spread or mapped footing. Uh, so, so it's a, a good way of, of um, collecting that data and bundling it up mm-hmm. uh, so that clients can use it downstream.
1: So does geophysics take like subsurface utility engineering to another level? Is that kind of what we're talking about?
4: Yeah. yeah um, so... So subsurface utility engineering or Sue, it, it uses non-destructive techniques to locate underground infrastructure. So it, it, at at its core, it's using geophysics to locate underground infrastructure. Um, So it's not the other way around. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So talk about how geophysics, uh, you know, how, how does it relate or benefit, you know, the AEC industry in general?
4: Yeah. You know, um, there's so many different applications that you can use geophysics for. You know, I just named off a couple. You know, looking for utilities, uh, buried debris. Um, you know, looking looking for underground storage tanks. Uh, but it also can be applied more so in the engineering front. So um, we can use more traditional techniques like seismic and resistivity to determine what's going on below the ground, like down to a hundred feet. So this is more like geological applications. So depth of bedrock, you know, uh, uh, mm. rock ripability, Poissons ratio, stuff that we can send over to engineers and help them calculate uh, you know, all these different metrics uh, that that they need to, to figure out. So uh, not only are we you know, investigating what's very shallow, and by shallow I mean in the first couple of inches, uh, you know, then that would be more like looking for rebar or something like that. Uh, to intermediate depths where we're looking for utilities and, and those types of things, to deeper applications uh, like you know geological uh, things. So, being able to uh, quantify and qualify what's going on below the ground is very important to uh, you know individuals in the AEC industry. Just because you know oftentimes we come out to a site, we're redeveloping it, and we have no clue whatsoever what's going on below the ground. You know, may, mm-hmm. maybe it's the site of an old oil and gas refinery that's been demoed and we've lost all of the that historical documentation. While you would want to perform a geophysical investigation to, you know, find out what what really is going on uh, beneath the ground.
1: So I got a, a selfish question. Living here in Arizona, fissures
4: are mm-hmm.
1: a fairly big thing. Yep. Can you explain exactly what a fissure is?
4: A fissure, I'm not really really particularly familiar with that, but I'd assume it's just like the opening up of uh, the ground surface, uh, just like pretty drastically and dramatically. Um, I would assume just based off my knowledge that that's likely due to subsurface faulting Mm -hmm. of some sort. It's probably my best explanation to
1: that. Sure, Rob, you were shaking your head. You, have you We've come got across some them? In Nevada,
2: yeah. Oh,
4: you we got them to, in Nevada as well. Yeah, we have to monitor them. In Las Vegas. Interesting.
0: Interesting. It's a uh, it's a very prevalent in this area in Nevada because uh, uh, as the we pull water out of the ground, drop the groundwater level, that will change the the properties of the subsurface soil characteristics, and you'll get a we get a sheer break, and then all of a sudden, that continues to open up. So, so back in the fifties, the groundwater was a couple hundred feet higher. Couple hundred it, feet. Yeah. It, so, from the fifties to now, it's dropped, in especially in the Phoenix area, it's dropped about two hundred feet. That's crazy. And that drop has, has all the all the things that happen that you can imagine when yeah. you have soil that was underwater and now it's not. It some some of it goes one place, and some of it doesn't, and then that difference of when it you know. Daylights up, you know, at the yeah. surface that then it starts to open up.
1: So, not only are you guys like North Carolina psh, 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 dorks, but you're oh, yeah. also we're, like, we're
0: also technical <laughs> dorks. You, you guys too. are yeah. both dirt
4: nerds. Yes, you're yes. dirt nerds. Yeah, and what are we? We're yeah, have, yeah, I like that. I like that. Dirt nerds. Yeah, yeah.
0: let's go. Like, I, I, I can, I need. Poisson's ratio to do the calculations that we do.
2: Did you hear all the fancy words he used? Yeah. Well, I'll Like one after another.
0: <laughs> I don't even know what he just said. surveyor. <laughs> right. right. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> so let's dig in a little bit about what we, a common theme on the show is a lot about technology and where it's going and where the industry is going and talk a little bit about kind of what, what were the tools used? Before and how, where is the where where is the advancements in the technology and some of the some of the cool stuff that you're doing to collect data better and uh, and how you're using it now?
4: Yeah, uh, so we get this uh, question a lot from clients. Who they ask, you know, hey, what what's the difference from you know what you know a private utility locator is versus what you guys do? Um, one of the things I'll say is that you know there's a lot of techniques, uh, a lot of equipment that's available uh, to pretty much anybody to purchase. Now, obviously very, very expensive. Um, you know, nowadays GPRs are in the order of about $20,000. Um, the more advanced systems are closer to 80 to hundred K if mm-hmm. not higher than that, if it's a, a toe behind system. Uh, so, you know, one of the things though, is that a lot of these pieces of equipment, they do require some more professional experience right so having a background in geology and geophysics is very important um and in in terms of not only collecting data but interpreting that data Mm. and and so what we do is we have all these different techniques whether it may be magnetics uh, electromagnetics acoustics uh, gravity for example might be another one that that we could use um, and you guys might even be pretty familiar with that um, because I know geodesy is one of one of the main things that surveyors uh, really focus on, and that right there by itself is geophysics. Mm. Um, so you know, basically, what the whole approach is is that we're using all these different pieces of, uh, of equipment that focus on a couple of main techniques. Uh, we basically choose each technique based off of what exactly we're trying to achieve? You know, if the client's looking for something, you know, really deep application, like looking for the depth to bedrock, or looking for maybe even uh, oil reservoir, uh, that that technique is very different than if you're looking for, you know, subsurface voiding uh, beneath a concrete slab. Um, and so, what we do is we have that expertise, and we pick and choose each technique and each piece of equipment to uh, meet those requirements. Now, one one of the things to remember is um, a lot, uh, I'd say GPR, for example, has gotten a really bad rep uh, in the geophysics world over, I'd say the last 20 or so years. And that's because uh, I can train any of you guys to push a GPR system. It's kind of like uh, a lawnmower, about, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it looks like a lawnmower. Uh, forever. yeah, I could teach you guys in like two minutes, how to collect data, but actually having the experience and and knowing how to interpret that data, you know, I've had over 500, 600 hours of looking at, at, at GPR data. So being able to interpret that, um, from having, having somebody that's just looked at it for a couple of weeks versus, you know, having a true professional mm. that does make, make a difference. It's... So, uh. When we go, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say it's so interesting that yeah. you mentioned that because I've seen some of the readings that these GPR units produce. There's like these little bitty blips or whatever, you know, it's like, how oh, do you yeah. know that's something, you know, it's. It's because you looked at it 500 times. Well, yes. Now <laughs> I understand you
2: know. it. Yes. That sounds painful. We do a little bit of that line locating mm-hmm. at Diamondback mm-hmm. and I I can't, I can't do it. It hurts my head. Yeah. 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 Leave it to him. Yeah,
4: absolutely. It, it is. Um, Underground utility locating is very complex and um, it definitely requires uh, individuals with a uh, correct set of expertise. And that, that's where my team at UES really excels at because each, each of us have PEs, PGs, um, we're, we're professionals. We've gone through those vetting processes. Um, you know other, other similar uh, you know companies uh, that you guys are probably familiar with, they oftentimes just send individuals who might not necessarily be um, even in the industry before, and they'll send them out for like a two-week training session uh, with, you know, whatever their internal policies are, or you know, whatever the manufacturer's uh, uh, training uh, uh, protocol is, and uh, they just turn them loose after those two weeks. So, you know, it, it, is, it is quite tough uh, to, to, you know, kind of quantify, you know, that professional experience versus uh, somebody that hasn't really had that, that level of training. Oh. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Are there certifications for that? Great question. Um, there is not. There is no certification in the United States that certifies nationally nationally. Uh, as a professional utility locator now in other countries like uh, the UK and Australia and I'm going to give them props for that um, they do have they do have a process that is required to do that um, I know that uh, there are actual certifications through the equipment manufacturers saying that hey you're certified to use the equipment uh, but not, necessarily certified to interpret that data Um, so that that's uh, one of the things that we see pretty commonly
1: hey kent real quick let's talk about extreme aerial productions Let's do that. Also known as EAP, they are passionate about capturing the perfect shot. Founded in 2014, Extreme Aerial Productions is a professional aerial drone video and photography company based right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. From the ground to the air, they capture it all from scanning to BIM, from topo to design. They've got you covered.
0: Uh, Yeah, they really do. They work in all 50 states are FAA-approved for commercial drone operations and backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. They have the highest-grade drone equipment available, meaning their clients receive the most professional photography and videos.
1: And I don't think I'm making this up, but if you book more than one flight, you'll actually get a date with the one and only Mark Taylor. It's <laughs> <That is> awesome. <laughs> to find out more, go to ExtremeAerialProductions.com.
0: I was I'm curious. I want to circle back to the, when you said you, you know, deliver like 2d and 3d models, like talk a little bit about how you develop. I mean, these guys just talked, you know, the data you get from some of this, you know, some of this collection is blips on a, on a X-ray or whatever. How do you take that and deliver a 3d model of a, an underground
4: profile? Yeah, Great question. So, you know, one of the things that we take a look at is a lot, a lot of our data results in like what we call heat maps, right? So the the heat maps will kind of show us where anomalies are at, but there are other other um, let's say metadata uh, that's involved in there. So like with GPR, uh, when you're pushing the system across across the surface, you're actually seeing a cross section into the ground. So you're seeing an X and Z X and Z plane, and so mm. you know by interpreting that data, we can associate a depth with these anomalies. And, uh, you know, so having known, known depths, and then obviously known diameters or or an approximate diameter that allows us to actually model that into a 3D, a 3D model. So, uh, you know, what we like to do is we like to bundle this in packages that we can send to a civil engineer, uh, whether that might be as a DWG or a Revit file or uh, Navisworks, whatever their preferred method is, so they can start performing their clash detection uh, with their design. So, Aaron, tell me if I'm wrong,
1: the records that we have in this country for infrastructure as it pertains to underground utilities, pretty bad, all in all, correct?
4: Yeah, um, that, that's that's correct. And actually, I want to say the DIRT report, um, you know, because we're DIRT guys, uh, uh, which is released by the Common Ground Alliance. The Common Ground Alliance? Um, the common I think ground
1: they say, alliance. Yeah, the Common Ground like, Alliance. Is this like the Flat Earth Nerd. Alliance? Is it the same thing?
4: <laughs> I know. I don't know who comes up with this stuff. <laughs> dirt guys. Yeah. Dirt, dirt guys. nerds. Dirt guys. Yeah, dirt, dirt guys, nerds. yeah. Um, I think they say that, uh, like, I want to say the number of utilities that are hit in a single year is like, 60 to 70% greater than any other like first world country. So what? the US is like so far behind. <laughs> We're it, one, it's so far. Behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh uh one of the other things they say is like by spending like $1 on just putting paint and flags out in the field so if you just give 811 mm. a call. Uh and we we all know 811 very well like 811's you know, free of charge to you guys. Um, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's the okay. best service, right? But it definitely does some of the jobs yep. uh, to get, get the work done. Um, they say just by putting paint and flags out in the field that um, you're reducing the the likelihood of hitting a utility by like at least 60 to 80% of the time. Mm, yep. um, and they, they find that like, every every dollar that you spend uh, on that effort saves you about 25 to 26 bucks mm. on that return on investment. Uh, so, you know, if you have a $10,000 uh, private utility locate, you can be saving uh, quite a bit of money uh, downstream from that.
1: And not to like harp on Sue stuff too much. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, but there's different quality levels, if I remember right, Like right? There's like quality level well, A, B, C and D, but D is like the most basic, correct?
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly, you have the right idea. I like to, uh, the way I like to talk to contractors and GCs about um, quality level D information is uh, is typically gonna be based off of like, hey, you know, when we go out to a job site, our last line of defense is our PPE. You know, our hard hat, our, our, our uh, steel-toed boots, mm-hmm. That that's our last line of defense. Uh, I say that, hey, our as-built, that's our last line of defensive of safety out on site. You know, I don't want to have to rely, uh, when I go out and I start performing ex- excavations, I don't want to have to rely on a 1975 drawing, uh, because that that's just going to get us in a lot of trouble right there. Mm. Um, so that that's kind of where that, that initial stage kind of starts in that process.
1: Sure. And We've thrown a lot of, a lot of terms already you know there's surveying, there's reality capture, there's subsurface engineering, there's virtual design, there's GIS. how are you how are we bringing all of these different technologies together?
4: Yeah um, you know the biggest thing is if everything is in the same coordinate system, right they can be brought in to the the, the, the same location right and that that's just a general concept right there you know uh at nc state when i i took our gis yeah go pack go, go pack. pack let's go go pack yeah let's go uh fingers yeah chicken dance <laughs> when we uh you know when we go through our gis coursework you know they talk about you know getting everything into the correct coordinate system and that that's one of the struggles is just getting all that information uh in into like that one specific uh work area and so, you know, you can imagine you have your reality capture, whether that might be photogrammetry or if that may be uh, laser scanning, uh, SLAM-based uh, uh, laser scanning, uh, of course, um, or if that's, uh, you know, civil engineering uh, drawings, whatever that data set may be, um, you, you do want to have that into a common space. And so what we do at UES is we are experts in bringing all these data sets um, whether they're internally created so whether that's gps uh, sorry gpr data uh, or uh, time domain em uh, which i never even uh, talked about but you know all these different geophysical techniques all all the reality capture gis all that stuff to get uh, gets pulled in together uh, to create kind of a seamless package um, and that way you can work around with all that data, set, all those different data sets. So
1: pulled together where, like, what is the deliverable? What is the end user yeah. getting?
4: Yeah. So the, the end user is typically getting, uh, so if we're doing like underground utility investigation, right. A sue SU investigation, or maybe we're, we're locating underground storage tanks, right. We'll model that into 2d or 3d typically in, in like civil 3d or uh, Plant3D. Typically, Autodesk is kind of the preferred software package. And, um, you know, we're pushing that directly to the client. So at the end of the day, the client has um, typically a a DWG, so a CAD drawing, and a a Navisworks file. And I know that the virtual design and construction folks at a lot of uh, design-build firms like... Uh, Hensel Phelps or Skanska, for example, um, they they operate oftentimes in NavisWorks, um, so they can perform uh, clash detection uh, whenever they're they're building up their BIM models oh. when their civil engineers hand over three uh, D uh, civil drawings or or models to them. They're typically performing uh, clash detection on on design right there. So uh, we kind of just streamlined that process from the below grade aspect Mm -hmm. so that you know that data the way they interact with it is no different than you know if if uh a civil engineer handed Mm -hmm. them that information got it
1: um just because i'm a surveyor talk about the importance of survey control as it pertains to all these different ways of collecting data
4: that we talked about
1: right who says survey control is important that's what we're gonna find out right now. Okay, sure.
4: It may not be. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Hundred percent important. Always. Um, we to do and I cannot stress we that, that we're right <laughs> We gotta yeah. come up with our own thing, uh, like
1: <laughs> it's something, I don't know.
4: Yeah, uh, I I can't stress it enough. It's very important to have that. And and typically when we go out to our projects we actually asked for the existing control to tie into. Mm. Um, and that's Genius. because we wanted... What a concept. Wanted, wow. What a concept. <laughs> yeah, I know, that right?
2: Cool contractors you can talk to.
0: <laughs> Aaron, you just it, got it, 95% it, of our audience nodding their heads like, oh, thank you, their yes. The <laughs> They're like, we like this guy.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we did, you know, kind of like uh, your guys' last episode with uh, Michael Gula, you know, uh, he kind of was talking about how much trial and error that was involved in his company. I mean, the same thing was with our process. You know, this is a thing that's been, that we've been um, doing for like over 10 years now. And, you know, at first we didn't even consider survey control and in, in collecting, collecting all this information. And now it's a must, like you have to do it. Uh, in the, in the new The new standard, which is the ASCE 3822 standard, it actually doesn't even talk anything about survey control. All it talks about is the accuracy in locating uh, underground infrastructure and what what that's required at. Um, So there's a lot of things that I think still need to be addressed uh, in that. But yeah, uh, I'd say 100% uh, in any type of project, survey control is very important.
1: Absolutely. And if just everything was just geo-referenced, even if it was just a Latin long, how like, how much better would that make all our lives when it comes to all this stuff,
2: right? Make life a lot easier.
1: Oh, geez. Well, I put these plans in the grid for you. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't it makes touch. it so much easier. <laughs> yeah. So what about like, the, I have to imagine that the size of these files that we're talking about, they've got to be pretty large.
4: Not, no, not, not so much. Actually, not really that large, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, the, I think the largest part of it would be just the you know the data from uh, you know laser scans, right? And you can choose to have that in the data sets if you want to, or or if you don't want to, it it doesn't really matter to us. Um, you know, ob- obviously, the way that we use the laser scan data is to give contextual information uh, for the underground utilities, right? If you visit a site uh, and you're you're collecting uh, underground data, well, you kind of want to know really what's going on above ground That's as cool. well, uh, w- and what's related to that. Uh, so, really, on file size, you're only looking at maybe at max with a Navisworks like NWD file, like maybe a megabyte or two. Holy, and the God, same wow. thing with a DWG. That's crazy. It's really, yeah, it's really not that bad. Oh well, wow. because you have to remember. Like underground utilities um, and underground storage tanks, uh, things like of these natures, they're actually the the geometries uh-huh. of the things that we're modeling are pretty primitive. Uh-huh. You know, they're they're LOD two hundred, for example, uh-huh. and that's because geophysics generally does not have uh, enough resolution to image, uh, you know, certain specifics uh, like specific information like pipe diameters um you know the actual pipe fittings on things you can see it sometimes Mm -hmm. but it's not common and and so you know we really have to make a lot of approximation on on some of our models and we also have to uh you know just kind of give the bare minimum basics
0: well it's also you're it's not like the a a pipe for example they're not making 8.35 diameter inch pipe it's It's either 8 or 10 or 12. So based on the data, you can get down to, okay, that's an 8-inch pipe. It's got a – if it's PVC, it's got an OD from this table of this, and that's how they can – I'm assuming they can get uh, down a little closer because the the accuracy, I mean, obviously, given the constraints. Uh, Really quick, I'm curious. You mentioned something that that spawned this question, but you said, you know, sometimes they're often – your clients are also interested in what's going on above the ground a little bit. So – like, you know, for example, a, a valve or a hydrant or whatever, how it <clears throat> you see it at the surface compared to below, where does that line start and stop for you guys? And you partner with survey companies that get a, de- you know, or laser scanning or whatever. And how do you tie into, you know, for example, laser scanning area and you get all the detail you want, and then somehow you have to connect what you can't see.
4: Right. Yeah. Great, great question. So, you know the, the, I can't obviously give you super super specific information. No, but oh, you know, you know, I,
0: yeah, yeah, company secrets aside, as vague <laughs> yeah. as you can. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So the, the biggest thing is when we're, you know, we're we're collecting uh, mobile laser scan data. Um, you know, there's a lot of providers that are out there. Uh, I know that that uh, you you guys have interviewed uh, several several of them in the past. Um, you know, we our preferred uh, provider is Navis. I think you know they're they're just way ahead of the the ball game than anybody else out there. Hmm. Shameless plug. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what's really great is if we establish survey control, um, and we're surveying all of our underground findings right through geophysics. And we're also tying into that same control using uh, using our reality capture systems, like the the Navis V L X system. Um, since everything's already all being kind of collected in the same coordinate system in the same uh, local localized control system, everything ends up falling right on top of each other. Oh, so okay. just yeah, so. Uh, we, we did have initially like some issues just because um, Autodesk is not great with handling point clouds all the time. And so like things we would have point clouds dropping in and it'd be in the right place, but it'd be like four feet off. And so we were just having to like troubleshoot that. And it was just so concerning, but we finally figured it out. And it's just simply that you have to you have to change your insert units. It's just like these really small things that that make a difference. Mm-hmm.
2: Are you using a Navis yourself? Yes. Do you love
4: it? Oh, yeah, it's great. I just demoed
2: one last week. Which one? The Navis, the, the new thing, one, the thing you wear. Yeah, the new one. You look like a total idiot. Yeah, you look like a nerd. Yeah. It's this big stupid thing, but I was totally blown away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you guys use no, that? it.
4: No, it, it's insane. It, it does it does kind of blur the line of like what is acceptable in terms of of you know having expertise in using a system like that because it does kind of make it too easy for you know, uh, random, you know, Joe off the block to pick up the system and collect the data.
1: Like Which, Kent. I.E. Sean. <laughs> 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 That's a
2: big selling point from them. They, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah it, sure. and They told me that straight up. They said, do you have guys that work under you that you need to train? I said, I have a pack of monkeys that don't know what they're doing. And they said, you just strap this on them, tell them to walk in circles. Yeah. Close a loop and it scans everything as
1: they walk. And yeah. it's super easy and it's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, well, you just got to have the expertise on the other side that puts all this together.
2: Is that you? Yep. Is that where you come in? you the expert on the other side?
4: I'm on the expert on the above and below. So, you know, yep, that's where I come in. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say like, you know, from the reality capture side of things, like Navis has intentionally, you know, from a marketing standpoint, made it uh, intentionally easy to collect that data. But I think it's also important to recognize that, hey, we should also be making sure we have mm. uh, correct QC and QA processes involved, not only from the reality capture side, but also from the geophysics, uh, the geophysical and, and uh, uh, below grade investigations as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's what I was trying to say. What he just said. Yeah. 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 He, just says said- he
0: just says a lot. <laughs> much better. Much better than said, <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Hey, Kent, before we go any further, tell me about TopoDot. Well, before we get to that, let me mention that TopoDot has been a loyal contributor to the Geoholics since day one. And as a surveyor, you know the importance of maintaining quality control through your process. Uh, I just found out recently there is actually more than 6,000 users all over the world that trust TopoDot software to accurately extract topographic features from point clouds. Man, that's really cool. Like, uh, How can I find out more information? Well, first of all, I think all of our listeners should give them a call to get a demo on one of their very own projects and be ready to be blown away by their automatic modeling tools. Do they have a website? They do. For more information, simply go to topo.com. <laughs> so, Aaron, I mean, there's, there's a lot of states, Arizona being one of them, unfortunately, where they are deregulating a lot of, well threatening to deregulate a lot of professional licenses in Arizona. um, Professional uh, geologists have been deregulated actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there's other States that this is happening in. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that?
4: Yeah, it was actually, you know, uh, initially when you had asked me this question a while back, I was just kind of taken aback because I hadn't even seen anything on it. And then I saw that, south carolina just you know just a couple miles south of me they're trying to deregulate uh you know geology uh professional geology as well um it's it's kind of frightening to be quite honest because you know if we're if we're deregulating something that you know really has a huge impact on the health and safety of not only people that are involved in in the actual uh you know job site but also the you know people that are just common place around us, Um, you know, that that's actually pretty, pretty scary, in my opinion. You know, if if I had a geologist to, you know, that was licensed, that that stamped and sealed something and, you know, the the site had a huge sinkhole in it you know that that geologist is going to be held accountable to an extent and and so are other professions mm. that that are involved in that process but if we start deregulating these types of things then who is held accountable for you know injuries or or you know things that that might be you know potentially uh you know cases to sue mm. and have civil lawsuits for sure. you know what you know what where where is the the line of professional versus, you know, a, a, uh, you know, just somebody who says they can do something, you know, that that's, what's scary.
1: That's a great question. And Sean, I'm going to loop you into the conversation. So you are a professional civil engineer, civil engineer with Mm -hmm. what a geotechnical.
0: There's nothing. I I just do a geotechnical engineer though. Yeah. I just do a lot in Arizona. There's not a separate designation for a geotech engineer. So all geotechs get a all geotechs get a civil license. Mm. Some that you may have to take the geotech depth or the breadth, whatever. I can't remember the part, the portion of the exam that's mm-hmm. focused in your discipline. Yep. But I my professional license and stamp looks just like any other civil engineer in the state. Mm. So what is even the- though I do mostly geo well used to do mostly geotech engineer now I'm kind of more broad but
1: yeah so what's the difference between geotechnical engineering and a uh, geophysicist i guess
0: yeah the the best or way i can describe it is all the stuff that aaron just described him yeah. doing really comes down to a couple data points that i need to design a foundation
1: gotcha Gotcha.
0: I'm not good at collecting all the data as well as he has. Mm-hmm. I if I in, in the perfect world, I would not do any field investigation. I would have more sophisticated guys like Aaron do it mm-hmm. and at a much higher level and then I could get a lot more data based on what he provides mm-hmm. to provide a more detailed design or not necessarily more detailed, but there'd be more data behind
1: it.
4: Gotcha. Yeah, to to build on that, uh, just just to give you an idea, a geotech engineer typically they're they're going out to a site, and this is just very generally, but they go out to a site, they take a drill rig out there, they collect uh, soil samples at a specific point uh, where they deem necessary. So you know maybe where they're going to be putting deep foundations, and they drill into the ground, they collect soil samples those samples get taken back to the lab and, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different tests that are done on them. And then, you know, geotech engineer's uh, position is to take all that data and, you know, do a whole bunch of calculations, determine what, you know, is going to be useful for the structural engineers and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, individuals involved in, in helping build those buildings to correctly, build it at like the specific geology out on site. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. So
0: Aaron, yeah. and, and to, to compound on that, the, the the tests that are run are specific to what is planned to be built on the site. Gotcha. Yeah. And in, in, yeah. in Aaron's case, a lot of times they're doing an analysis of a larger area and they, they might not even, not even know what they're looking for. It's just, Hey, tell me what's going on below the surface. This it, is it's when it's we shoot the boreholes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 no. this is the this is where you get and then you guys come in and just shoot the hole and say, "Hey, here's where you did that, and then yeah, exactly. that's one of a thousand data points for that spot,
1: <laughs> actually, what I'm really confused about is my buddy Rob's hat over here I'm oh, looking hat. At this thing. it's like is that a is it a Philly's hat yeah,. yeah. What what is going on in the background? There's it's, it's like so it's, a Hawaiian it's this, Phillies hat.
2: It's the summer? I don't know why. This makes no freaking friends? sense.
1: <laughs> you just noticed it now. Jeez,
0: yeah.
1: uh, it's a distraction. Is my shirt okay?
0: Let me
3: see.
1: Uh,
4: Eagle shirt. Is that Air Postal?
1: Is that Air Pastel? Oh, yes, yeah,
4: not the same thing. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. yes. It's Air <laughs> Wait, we're fighting. Are we, we
4: back in high school? <laughs> 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 That's
1: awesome.
0: Oh, it's so good well talk a little let's oh you were talking about getting licensed uh talk a little bit about what a career in geophysics or being a, career, a professional geologist how you know talk a little bit about how, how that career is what you advice you give somebody that's interested in getting in something that you're doing
4: yeah uh so i think the the first thing is you know most most people do not go into geophysics. Um, it is very heavy in the obviously physics, mathematics, and statistics areas. Um, and so commonly we'll see most people you know, shy away from geophysics just simply because there's a lot that's involved there. Um, we, I actually end up having to educate a lot of uh, geologists, whether they are PGs. Uh, or if they're straight out of college, just because geophysics is not really uh, heavily, heavily used or I guess heavily taught in universities. Um, your more traditional uh, uh, geology courses like sedimentology and uh, igneous and metamorphic petrology, those are really the, the things that the academias are, are pushing forward. So we don't really see a lot of people in, in the geophysics world uh, but I, what I would say is, you know, any, any, any young geologist out there, you know, when they first start their first job, they're going to be out in the field for quite a, lo- uh, quite a while. Uh, for me, you know, I'm still out in the field and, you know, I'm going into my sixth year of in- industry with my license. You know, I go out there every single day. You know, I collect data. You know, it's no difference if you're, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, a manager or department manager, you're still going to be out in the field collecting data, no matter what you're doing. The difference is is that you know taking pleasure in in realizing that hey, you're you're actually going to be helping, uh, you know, people stay safe when wh- whether that be in the, the very immediate future or if that's in the future when they're building a building and you know you made sure that you did your due diligence so that that building that just got built doesn't fall over, um, you know, so. You know the what what I'll say is you know in, in the the normal or I guess average day of a geophysicist, you know we're we're going out to sites, we're deploying our instruments, and you know we're we're collecting just all these different tons of data, and we get to take that back into the office and interpret that, and that that's what's really rewarding in my my opinion is because oftentimes these sites they're just like big jigsaw puzzles, and you kind of just have to take all these different data sets and look between them and and interpret them in coordination with each other. Um, So that that's, that's uh, what I find very interesting with geophysics.
1: Hmm. So there's no degree in it. Really? There is, is. but there's like, there's not a degree in like geotechnical engineering, right? There is. Yeah. Is there really? Yeah. Yeah. Of course there is. There's a degree in it. Yes.
0: (laughs) Who offers that? A lot of people,
2: <laughs> University of Phoenix online, uh, NC State, NC go State, pack, NC State, oh. spear fingers,
1: so crazy. Um, what else? I got. I got something else here on my list of questions. That I well, what, what's to, uh, I what's what's next? Here.
0: Or what are you what are you excited about? You know, uh, like in the in the industry or you personally, what do you, what what do you see going? Or what 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 gets you motivated, and what do you see that excites you in the next five ten years?
4: Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of things out there. I think for one, augmented reality is is one of the bigger yes. ones. Yeah, um, I haven't even talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Augmented Rivals. reality, I think, is going to be kind of the mainstay in the const- the AEC industry. Yeah, you know. We're, I, I would say like in the AC industry, we're, we we lag behind by like 10, 15 years um, to adopt any new technology. I mean, it takes a long time because you really have to get everybody bought into into the concept. And you obviously have to train people how to use these new technologies. In my opinion, AR is gonna be kind of the new, the new front on how we do everything, right? Because, uh, know, if we can, if I can walk out to a site and show you where utilities are without mm-hmm. there having to be, uh, you know, uh, paint or yep. f- flags out on site. If I can show you, uh, if we're we're actually um, out on site and we're testing uh, concrete to make sure that you know the the mix is correct or whatever, and I want to um, you know be able to access all that information through AR. And be able to to uh, you know report that up to you know whatever system. The mainstay is going to be with augmented reality. You know, I know to, in today's uh, world, I know there's a lot of companies out there that are experimenting with, like uh, showing MEP for example in, in a new space. And you know, I think like using Trimble Connect for example, and those are really great applications. And I think it's only going to get better and better. Um, but really, we have to adopt these technologies and we have to be comfortable. And it's much the same with like AI, for example. People are really afraid of it and, and not adopting it. Um, and what I would say is you know, just kind of like the, the increase in SLAM algorithms and how accurate things are and how usable the uh, systems are nowadays. If you don't start utilizing these new technologies, you're gonna get lost in the dust compared to, to others that are actually innovating and in, in trying to use these, these technologies. So that's what I really get really interested about. Um, the other thing that I, I'm really interested about is from the aspect of a, um, a national uh, underground utility infrastructure plan. Um, this is something that, that uh, that australia and the uk are currently doing they're mapping out the whole entire country uh for all their underground infrastructure Uh, and that that's a nationwide uh um thing that they're doing in the us uh like we've already talked about we're way Uh. way we're we're 50 years behind um and i think that's because we have Privatized all of our different utilities, right? You have Verizon and Comcast and Sprint and, and T-Mobile and whoever else is out there just for, for you know communications. Then you have like Duke and all the other providers for electric, and nobody wants to give up these these assets to you know uh, you know a higher level, right? They they don't want to let other people know where these things are at. And I can understand why, you know, we don't, we wouldn't want to have like another nation being able to access our infrastructure, but that also is what's going to prevent us from being safe when we're actually redeveloping on sites. And so what I would like to see in the next five to 10 years is a revamp of that, that idea across the nation.
0: Well, not only, not only the safety, which is obviously the, the, the number one concern, but the sheer cost of Mm. doing infrastructure projects when you every single time you have no idea what's down there. I mean, I mean, it most likely would put Aaron out of a out of a job in some cases. But if there was a (laughs) a, an inventory of Mm. and basically an accurate as built for the entire nation's infrastructure, every single project you would go to, you already knew what was down there.
1: That'd be absolutely incredible.
4: Will never happen. Well,
1: it won't happen in my life.
4: Never happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah I actually great. have something yeah. to speak on that. Um, you know, I, I will say to just everybody that's listening in on, on the podcast that you do have to be careful. There are companies out there that claim that, oh, you know, they're mapping out the the whole state of Texas or mm. Florida or whatever. Um, and you just have to be careful because, yeah, you, ha- you do have to recognize that, like we were talking about, that is quality level D. Information. So, just historical Good information coming from satellite imagery or from as-builts. There will always, always be need to actually have boots on the ground, physically locating things with uh, advanced geophysical techniques.
1: There's your boots right there. there. you're new same yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was doing that today in Buckeye. Boots Morse. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go. <laughs> No, that's a really good point Aaron I'm glad you brought that up because there's a yeah. lot of people there's a lot of people collecting data let's face it yeah everybody's collecting data at this point but there's not like a central that I'm aware of no. like a central what's the word I'm looking for where like if, it would be really nice if everybody would be willing to first of all take all that data that they're collecting share that information in one central library what do you mm-hmm. call that composite not what's the word I'm looking for
0: mm. No idea what you're, what, no, no idea. Compos- yeah. compository.
1: Compository. repository repository oh, right. there there go. Go. Com- repository, yeah, repository. I said, compository. yeah, I said, compositor. Well,
2: no, the three of us put brains together and got one answer, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about, yes, you know, that's that's gotta happen, it's gotta
0: happen, but then you go into, like you said, it that's level D, like the uh, who's gonna make sure that all of that data is accurate. And you could get the guys that are as sophisticated as the people in this room. And then the guys just that buy a Navis and go around and scan stuff and then (laughs) throw it in. And then all of a sudden that the, the the repository says, oh look, yeah, it's just stuff going everywhere. <laughs> right, when, who's right. gonna who's gonna make sense of what what is accurate and what's not? Repository shit. <laughs> no, him. That's how he, he keeps, keeps his, his job. That's he keeps his
4: job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what what I'll say is like. You know, there's there, there's a couple other quality levels involved on that, and uh, I think like for example, quality level A, which would be like actual validation of utilities. Yeah. That that would be kind of where you know yeah. if we had a repository of all these different utilities, then you know contractors could go out and uh, daylight test pit pothole whatever you want to call it uh, to actually validate that those utilities are in those locations. Uh, out on their sites. That way, obviously, they're they're being safe and they're making sure they don't have any conflicts with that. Um, so, you know, if you did a quality level B, which is the actual geophysical investigation with further the the uh, actual uh, validation efforts, then you know that I think that that's how that would work. Mm. Good stuff, man. What else? What else you want to get out there, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. You know, what I kind of want to drive home out there is that I think any, anytime that you do a geophysical investigation or you're locating something out on site, I think that it's always good to ask who is collecting that data, right? What is their expertise? What is their background? What techniques are they using out on site? You know, what, what, you know how long have they been doing this type of work? And just really quantifying, qualifying is—is is what we're purchasing really going to solve the issues that we're having out on site? Um, because common, commonly, I will see out in the industry that say, "Hey, I can push a GPR and I can—I can find all of your USTs or all of your uh, all the debris out on site." And hmm. I, but I can would say that's not that's never the case. That that never happens. Um, and so employing individuals that have professional experience like myself, you know, PG is you know much the same as a PE. It's it's you know, your license to do something like this. Uh, having somebody that, that has the background in that to collect that data, that is a QA and QC on your part as the the clients or the contractor to make sure that hey you may be spending the extra money to do something like this but you're also not going to get you know something like uh you know pdf comment call outs on uh, on a pdf like you're gonna get an actual 2d 3d model a northing easting and elevation and you're you're doing your due diligence to make sure that uh you aren't you know just choosing somebody that can do it super cheap just because they say they can do it. Uh, so that, that's what I would say out there in the industry.
1: Yep. There's a lot of, uh, over promising and under delivering mm-hmm. taking place. Oh,
0: absolutely. And, uh, to, especially to as new technologies come out, it's some people do see this exercise as just a, a, a check of the box of the five things they need to do before they move to the next step. But mm-hmm. he's already kind of el- illustrated the, the value and, especially the cost that goes into poor data. Mm. It's just, Absolutely. it just yep. compounds. So no question. Good
4: stuff. Well, what was it that you said last week? Uh, dirty data, right? Dirty data. Yeah, dirty yeah. data. Dirty, yeah. It's like dirty <laughs> dancing. Right. <laughs> uh, all
0: right. Uh, one last question. I ask everybody, I'm sure you're aware, Aaron.
4: Uh, do you have a mantra that you live by? Yeah. You know, I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, that I kind of live by is, you know, try not to get stressed over the small stuff. Right. You know, Mm. in our daily lives, we have all these different things that can go right, obviously, and a lot of things that can go wrong and can be stressors in our life. And so my my biggest thing would be, hey, you know, just recognize the things that are important to uh, to put it lightly, give a fuck about, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, actually 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 put your time and effort into those things you know uh the the smaller stuff you know don't really sweat it don't really give in to the the stress and anxiety involved in that because at the end of the day is it really worth your time to to really you know worry about things that that really you know are so small and minuscule Mm. um so that that's kind of the the mantra i live by is you know sweat don't sweat the small stuff give a fuck about the big stuff Love it.
1: Nobody's going to die.
0: Nope. That's yes, my gonna yeah, nobody's going to die. Gonna die. Sweat it. All right. yeah. Nobody's <laughs> going to die. No. And oh, I guarantee awesome. you, Aaron, lives a, 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 stress, a less stressful life than those that do sweat the small stuff. Oh, 100%. Oh, absolutely. No question. Yeah. No question.
1: Yeah. All right, Aaron, before we let you get out of here, let's go around the table real quick. Rob, anything else, man? You, I mean, I had to calm you down a couple times. you were getting good. out of control. No, right. Anything to add?
2: <laughs> so I do have a question for you. Um, yeah. As far as your deliverables go. Uh, you're talking yeah. about eventually, um, uh, what was the, the term you used for the uh, the virtual Aug- reality? Augmented reality? Augmented reality. Augmented. There yeah. You go. yeah. So how long do you think until people start to adopt that? Because you have oh, big survey uh, civil firms who still don't even do PIM. I mean, we provide them with a point cloud and they go, we just want points, right? Because that's the easiest common denominator is to reduce the survey data from a point cloud, from a scan to points. Um, most companies we deal with don't understand the benefit of having a full 3d point cloud until they need it. So right. where do you think we are as far as companies adopting that level of, um, expertise when it comes to 3d modeling and rendering to take the next step into augmented reality? Like how far out do you think that is?
4: Good question. Yeah. Great, great question. Um, you know, actually augmented reality is being used actually quite often nowadays. Um, I, I would say in the utility side of the world, it's it's being used. Um, I'd say in the municipalities, right? Um, the the caveat that I would say there is that um and, and this doesn't really get said too often is that there are a lot of concerns in terms of actual accuracy on that data, right? Um, you know, my biggest things to avoid running into actual problems out out on site would be that. Um, first of all, you want to be in areas with open skies, right? Because we're using GPS as kind of the main the main driver in our navigation, and then on top of that, I would slap on a GNSS with RTK corrections, so we're having sub centimeter uh, corrections. Um, You just got Kent excited, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Kent, What's going on over there? You said sub centimeter. (laughs) (laughs) She's all hoarded up. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) 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 Gotta
1: readjust. Oh my God. Uh,
4: (laughs) And the wheels fell off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you want to have really good positional. Uh, information as where you like, where you are in the world when you're using augmented reality. Um, it works pretty well in confined spaces. So like if you're inside of a building and you're trying to, to show, and you'll have to apologize for the train in the background. I'm sorry. Uh, but you'll, you'll, uh, you'll have to, uh, um, like in a confined space, you can throw MEP structures and all that and it's fine because you are, um, oftentimes you'd be using like a HoloLens, so an actual AR headset, mm-hmm. and those actually have LiDAR sensors on them, so they're actually tracking uh, everything and creating meshes on in the background. So that that's actually, I'd, I wouldn't say it's extremely common, but it is being commonly used. I just don't think that it's being used enough in the industry to say that it's... it's um, ready to be commercially uh, pushed out to the AEC industry i'd say we're we're probably another 5 years out at least okay. uh, in terms of at like all the the firms adopting like the technology full adoption. yeah i can see yeah. that yeah um you know the, the i think the thing with technology it, this this was true about like uh, slam based laser scanning was you know like 4 or 5 years ago it, the tolerances on that were really mm. really poor Yep. right terrible. Yeah. the i think it was the the geoslam, GeoSlam. like four four or five years ago had an accuracy of like a couple of inches mm. right um some something yep. you know not not really applicable uh for the industry so as we as we get you know further down the line and in, in technology advancements obviously we're going to be able to to use these these technologies more um, efficiently. Uh, but I think the main driver in, in all of this is going to be uh, more so on us as professionals to actually push these services, uh, innovate, right? And actually, um, you know, be the ones that use it. Uh, because if we start using it, we can push this out to clients if the clients see the benefits behind it. And we can easily uh, hand you know uh, them a phone or a tablet or something like that and they can just walk around a site and see it then you know that might be better than just looking at a, a traditional uh you know report or you know just a cad drawing right. um so that that that's the way i would look at it it's good thank you yeah good yeah. stuff
1: yeah. awesome sean anything else buddy no, I'm good. I can. You want to I give I can, a little more? Uh, what is this? Bearcat love? What do you call this? I,
0: I can nerd out with a with a fellow Wolfpack guy, Wolfpack. A North Carolina yeah. guy, a geo guy yeah. on the dirt side. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh, no, a lot a of, lot of good stuff. What about you, Kent? You got anything else?
1: Uh, I don't. Just the uh, just the usual, adding value, making friends. Thanks, Aaron. This has been fantastic. Thanks for being here. Yeah,
4: absolutely. I really appreciate it, guys.
1: Really appreciate it as well and uh, enjoyed the conversation. would love to have you come back again sometime.
4: Yeah, maybe next time uh, in person. Oh man! Yeah, that would be, you gotta oh, wear exactly. the navis.
2: You have to wear the navis, though. Yeah, you gotta wear, to wear
1: the navis or that weird hat. <laughs> 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 if anyone would like the, to, with
4: their Air Apostle shirt, and the oh, Air, Postal Air Postal shirt. You better not come here. <laughs> <laughs> Back in high school,
1: quote of the fucking night. That was oh, awesome. Shit. Oh my gosh! If anyone would like to be a guest at a future show, shoot us an email at info at Bad songs, cardiac arrest, otherwise known as the Damar Hamlin song, oh, available yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Until next time. <laughs> Don't sweat the small stuff. Pick and choose what you give a fuck about. And most importantly, be safe and healthy. Amen. Oh, stay classy,
0: Geoholics. Stay classy, (laughs) geaholics.